If you are looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to reclaim your fertility to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Hello, my beauties. We have an amazing guest for you back on Fertile Minds Radio. My name is Hilary Talbot Roland, and today I have uh, brought to you the musings and just absolute clinical brilliance of Dr. Felice Kirsch to help you understand how cannabis may be either helpful in your health or actually potentially uh, hurting your fertility. So. If you will help me in welcoming Dr. Gersh by visiting her on social media, I would love that. And I hope that you enjoy today's show as much as I enjoyed speaking with her. She's a doubly board certified OBGYN and integrative medicine practitioner. She taught as an assistant clinical professor at the Keck USC School of Medicine for 12 years. And she is the founder and director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine, California. A globally recognized expert on women's health, she regularly speaks at conferences around the world. Dr. Gersh is the best-selling author of PCOS SOS and her newest book, PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. After seeing an influx of patients with fertility issues, Dr. Felice Gersh took on a mission to identify the perfect storm of culprits, eating the wrong foods at the wrong times, circadian rhythm disruption, and health trends like CBD. That last one is exactly what we're going to talk about today, how the rising normalization of marijuana and CBD could potentially affect your fertility and how it could help endometriosis if you are not trying to get pregnant. If you are unfamiliar with how the endocannabinoid system in our body actually works and how it relates to our menstrual cycles and hormones, you should absolutely have a listen. I learned a ton speaking with her and I highly, highly suggest it to any woman who has ever considered using THC or CBD so that you understand how it will affect you differently at different times in your menstrual cycle, as well as your life cycle. You can find Dr. Gersh at the integrativemgi.com or an Instagram at Dr. Felice Gersh. I'm going to list those on our, our show notes over at ladypotions.com and hopefully you can give her a shout out over there. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Gersh, and for educating our listeners on a topic that can be very difficult to know you're finding unbiased answers about. Well, it's my pleasure to join you. This is such a critically important topic, as most states are now having legalized marijuana and and hemp-based products are legal everywhere. Correct. And I think that with that has come some um, feelings of, well, if it's natural and it's legal, it must be safe. And while that it is um, helpful in certain medical conditions, uh, certainly not a panacea, and, and may even be harmful to our fertility, which is what I want to talk to you about today. Absolutely. This is so important for women. And I focus on women, and I just want to make a note that men also should know about this. But it is very, very important for women to understand the interplay between their own natural systems and this plant that can actually bind to our own natural receptors. Correct. And there has been a lot of changes that you are illuminating me on in terms of research around the whole endocannabinoid system or the endocannabinoid 
endocannabidome. Is that what you called it? Yes, Yes, it's a fascinating new system, but it's not new. It's just newly discovered. Like there's this system um, is in existence in a very large array. Most actual, most animal animals that live on this planet have an endocannabinoid system. And even plants may have an endocannabinoid system. So it's a lipid-based signaling system based on fatty acids. So it's a fascinating new thing that we understand that fatty acids can actually create information delivery systems. It's, it's a whole new way of viewing the human body and of life itself. And we discovered, we meaning, you know, the scientists back in the 1990s, the receptors for this endocannabinoid system, they discovered CB1 and CB2, and then they named, is this like a case of reverse engineering? They named the endocannabinoid system after the plant cannabis. And they discovered that this plant cannabis can actually bind to our own natural receptors before they even knew what these receptors were or what this system did or anything about the system. They just knew that this this plant could actually bind to our own body receptors. And so when they discovered the receptors and they started then discovering the actual components of the endocannabinoid system, and the first two were discovered and they're anandamide and 2-AG, they named the whole system after cannabis. So endo means for within us, and cannabinoid is based on cannabis. So it turns out that we discovered that this plant has an effect on our body before we discovered the actual system in the body and its own workings, which is incredibly fascinating. And lipids, these lipid signaling agents now are looked at not just with the endocannabinoid system, but in the whole great array of lipid signaling agents, because there's a a bunch that aren't even part directly of the endocannabinoid system. So they named this whole giant new world of lipid signaling agents as the endocannabidome. So it's a just a, an exciting new area of research and understanding how it relates to reproductive functions is of course incredibly fascinating to me. Right. And there's you are explaining to me too how THC can and CBD, and we'll go into that hopefully in just a second with the differences in, in the receptors and how it acts differently upon the body, but that they can affect a woman differently at different points in her menstrual cycle, as well as interrupt the rhythm of the hypothalamus pituitary ovarian access and potentially cause issues with delayed ovulation, um, failure for implantation. Um, Could you just Mm -hmm. go into that and explain how that works for our listeners? Because I think that that's really important for them to understand why we're telling them it could potentially interfere with their fertility. Absolutely. Well, the first important take-home message is that reproductive success is the prime directive of life. So every system in the female body in some way links to reproduction and is there to support the health of the woman so that she can be reproductively successful. And the endocannabinoid system is no exception. So it turns out that the endocannabinoids, these lipid signaling agents, have receptors all over the body because they're involved basically in every function to support health and fertility because they're one. It's really important to understand that fertility is actually a vital sign of health of a reproductive aged woman. 
So it turns out that the endocannabinoids have receptors in the hypothalamus, in fact, all over the brain, as well as on the immune cells. And actually now we know in every organ of the body. And they are heavily involved in all of the reproductive organs of the female reproductive tract. So there are receptors for the endocannabinoid system on the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, in the uterus, and when there's a pregnancy, on the placenta. So it's really an integral part of fertility. Well, it turns out that women have this beautiful rhythm, and it's called the lunar rhythm, the menstrual cycle. And the estrogen has its own beautiful rhythm, and progesterone has a rhythm. And as we'll see in a moment, so too does the endocannabinoid system have a beautiful related rhythm. So estrogen is very low during the menstrual cycle when a woman is bleeding. That's the lowest time of the estrogen level, and it's also the most inflammatory time of the menstrual cycle. Then estrogen starts to rise, and then it spikes up preceding ovulation. You get this big, big spike of estrogen, and then it dips down, it dips down, and then it starts to slowly rise up again. And then it sort of plateaus. And then if there's no pregnancy, it drops down and that initiates the menstrual cycle, um, the beginning, that's day one, which is bleeding. And progesterone is produced only after ovulation in the second half, known as the luteal or secretory phase of the menstrual cycle. And it progesterone rises, it peaks, and then if there's no pregnancy, it just drops down. So it looks like a little mountain. It just comes up and then it comes down. And that beautiful rhythm of hormones is also aligned with the beautiful rhythm of the endocannabinoid system. So it turns out that during the follicular phase, that's the first half of the menstrual cycle that's preceding ovulation, as the estrogen level rise, so too does the production and levels of the endocannabinoids. Then when estrogen spikes up and it's really high, that's when the endocannabinoids are also produced at their peak, and they have a very high spike as well. And then they both drop down, and during the luteal phase, the endocannabinoids are very low. And then throughout, if there's pregnancy, the endocannabinoids, the levels and production are very low throughout all of pregnancy, and they need to stay low through all of pregnancy, and then they jump up again just at the onset of labor. So it turns out that this beautiful rhythm is very precise. Well, since we now know that cannabis can, and both THC, and that's like the main one that has been researched because that works on the CB1 receptors, which is dominant. But actually there's concern because the other elements, the CBD, can also react with the receptors, the CB2 and a little the CB1. So any cannabis product has the potential to interfere with this beautiful rhythm because they can bind to our own natural receptors. We did not evolve so that our, our fertility is dependent in any way on having a plant come into our life. This is sort of a, sort of an interesting finding that these plants can act on our own natural receptors. So as I mentioned, we have this beautiful sequence of events with the estrogen, the progesterone, and the endocannabinoids. Well, if someone takes exogenous outside plant-based cannabis and puts it into their system during the time of the menstrual cycle or during pregnancy when the endocannabinoid production should be very low 
and the receptors should be quiet. And then suddenly you add in all of this plant-based product that can actually bind to our own natural receptors, you can really create reproductive havoc. And what has been shown is that if you have cannabis on, on site in the uterus during the time when the embryo, which at that point is called a blastocyst, is trying to implant into the uterine wall, it often will fail. In fact, the uterine wall has very low levels of endocannabinoids at the time of implantation. And the actual site where implantation is to occur has actually the very lowest of the entire uterine lining at that very site of implantation. And maybe that's even how it decides where to go. Like we always, I always wonder, like, how does it know which site to pick? Well, it actually goes to the site that has the very lowest levels of the endocannabinoids, and that's where it implants. And implantation requires this beautiful sequence of events involving the endocannabinoid system. So if you throw cannabis into the mix, my goodness, you're going to interfere with these very, very precise receptor functions, and you can actually block implantation. And that has been shown in studies that taking exogenous cannabis, when you have cannabis, and you're interfering with these natural receptors, which at that point, the levels should be very low filling them, and now you're putting this plant into them, that you can interfere with implantation. You can prevent fertility from being successful in the first place. You can actually also induce miscarriages. And during pregnancy, when the levels should be very low, if you have, if you throw cannabis into the body, you can actually potentially incite preterm labor and maybe even deliver prematurely. So that is, these are very huge things related directly to being successful with a pregnancy. We're not even talking about the developing brain of the fetus, but we're just talking about the success of pregnancy. Now, it turns out that there's this beautiful feedback mechanism between estrogen and our own endocannabinoid system. So when estrogen is very high, estrogen actually creates higher amounts of production and quantity of endocannabinoids. So how does that work? Estrogen actually blocks the degrading enzyme for the endocannabinoids. So it actually blocks it so that they can't be degraded, so you accumulate more. It also stimulates the enzyme systems that produce them. So basically, as estrogen is rising during the the early portion of the menstrual cycle, it's causing an increase in production and a decrease in degradation of the endocannabinoids. So they're actually rising along with the estrogen. Well, it turns out that there's a feedback mechanism, as in most things in in the body. So when you have high levels of the endocannabinoids, it then blocks the production of estrogen. It actually blocks it through the it blocks the production of luteinizing hormone. That's the hormone that triggers the very initiation of the production of of estrogen through testosterone. So basically, the take home is that when you have a lot of estrogen. And then you're going to have a lot of the endocannabinoids. In turn, the endocannabinoids feed back on the production of estrogen and lower the production of estrogen. That's why after you have mid-cycle, this big spike of estrogen and a big spike of the endocannabinoids, you then get a big dip in estrogen. It it suddenly drops Ah. because the endocannabinoids are now decreasing the production of estrogen. And then as estrogen 
is decreased, then the production and life quantity and the quantity of the endocannabinoids is dropping. So estrogen drops and then the endocannabinoids drop and then estrogen comes back some. But as estrogen is then sort of coming back and sort of plateauing, you're getting the production of progesterone. Now, progesterone increases the production and function of the degrading enzymes of the endocannabinoid system. So progesterone causes the endocannabinoids to get lower as well. So now you have progesterone creating the effect of lowering the endocannabinoid production and increasing the degradation. So that's how progesterone then causes the low levels of endocannabinoids through the second half of the menstrual cycle and throughout pregnancy. That's one reason why high progesterone is associated with successful pregnancies because progesterone is suppressing the endocannabinoids throughout pregnancy. And then suddenly as progesterone drops and then labor is triggered that's, and, and the endocannabinoid production rises, that's why progesterone has been used in pregnancies that are threatening or women who've had preterm labors or preterm deliveries. They would treat women with progesterone during their pregnancies, and people didn't understand, well, we don't know why that works. It just seems to help. Well, now we understand it blocks the production and it increases the degradation of the endocannabinoid. So they have to stay low through pregnancy, and then suddenly this miracle happens and they everything, the progesterone drops and the, the endocannabinoids skyrocket, and that triggers labor. So what happens when you suddenly put the exogenous cannabis into the mix during pregnancy at any stage, or if you start it really early, like when the during the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle before implantation, you may block implantation completely, and you will potentially create a miscarriage, and you may in, incur an early preterm delivery, early labor. So these are really significant potential risks. No one's done studies on pregnant women. Of course, they can't do that. But because we understand the mechanism now of how there's this incredible, beautiful interplay between estrogen, progesterone, and the endocannabinoid system, we understand the great potential for harm. So we, I counsel all of my women to please, if they're considering pregnancy or if they have irregular cycles, because remember, it's going to interfere with the normal um, hormones because there's feedback mechanisms here. So if a woman has irregular cycles, even if she's not trying to get pregnant and she's using a lot of cannabis products, it's like stop the cannabis because it could be interfering with her production and function of her hormones so and her own natural endocannabinoid system. That makes perfect so sense. We need to be aware. It's, it's so, this is really important for women to understand how these interesting and, and I'm useful because I use them in my practice in medical conditions, but using them as a therapeutic agent is very important to understand all the risk-benefit ratio. Everything that you use in life has potential risk, and we should not assume anything is the panacea for anything, right? right? Because everything, and that's where we're just discovering the potential downsides for women with their very fragile, very intricate um, cycles, and how that can really interplay to cause great harm. 
Well, I, that makes perfect sense, everything that you've explained. And it also makes sense. You were talking to me before the show about how you do use um, hemp-based suppositories in the treatment of dysmenorrhea and how it could potentially be helpful in endometriosis. Can you explain to our listeners that? Because I think that that is something that shows up a lot now in social media and why that that would be therapeutic if you had endometriosis, but what if you had endometriosis and you were trying to get pregnant? Could you do that and wean off of it um, and have some benefit? Or is it something you would just consider other ways of treating the endometriosis altogether if someone was trying to get pregnant? Sure. Well, first, um, let's talk about what the endocannabinoid system and how it relates to cannabis and different other parts of the body. For example, the immune system. So the immune system is very related to reproductive functions. A lot of people don't realize that. So every month when a perfectly normal, healthy woman has a menstrual bleed, so she's having her period, some of the tissue from inside the lining of the uterus, and all that tissue is either dying or being sloughed, it's inflamed, and of course there's blood involved, some of that tissue and blood, some of those cells are still living cells from the uterine lining. Some of that goes backwards. We call it retrograde menstruation, where some of that tissue goes into the fallopian tubes and then out into the pelvic cavity of the woman. That's where all her female reproductive organs are residing. So that's natural and that's normal. But the immune system is there to deal with it appropriately when everything is right and all the hormone levels are right and not just the hormone levels, but the hormone receptors are functioning properly. So I mentioned that during the second half of the menstrual cycle and then through all of pregnancy, the endocannabinoid production is very low. Well, it turns out that the endocannabinoids have very major effects on the immune cells to actually calm them down, the innate immune cells. Now I'll focus on the mast cells. They're the first responders of the innate immune system. So the innate immune system is the, um, the collection of immune cells that are designed to kill invaders without identifying first who they are. They just know that they're evil, they're trying to hurt us, and they, the mast cells has, have receptors for everything, for viruses and bacteria and fungi, pretty much everything. It can, and it, it can tell that something is coming in. It binds to the receptors that are called toll-like receptors. They're on the mast cells, and then the mast cells explode. And what's in the mast cells, they're like, they're like bombs, okay? They're like weapons of mass destruction. Inside the mast cells, there's histamine, which creates massive inflammation. There's um, protein P that actually causes pain. That's how you get pain. So, it, so it's alerting. The pain is to alert you. Something's wrong. Like something's wrong. You need to know. So, and it has packaged. It's the only cell in the body that has pre-packaged tumor necrosis factor alpha. This is an inflammatory cytokine. So these are proteins that create tremendous inflammation. Now, controlled inflammation is how we fight off invaders. That's how you get a cut on your skin. The skin gets inflamed, it gets red, and so on. And it's to create harm to the invading, potentially invading bacteria. So that's the controlled, it's like a controlled fire. And that inflammation is designed to keep us safe and to keep us healthy. 
Well, when the this cruddy, crappy tissue from inside the uterine cavity is flowing backwards out the fallopian tube with this retrograde menstruation, what should happen is a controlled fire, like a controlled inflammatory response that would dissolve and then gobble up, we call phagocytose, so dissolve with certain enzymes that are made from immune cells, and then gobble up these cells, the dead tissue, and so on that's coming out backwards um, with the flow from the menstrual cycle, the retrograde menstruation. In women with endometriosis, it's like a wildfire. The immune cells are not properly controlled. Now, what should control them is actually the endocannabinoid system. Now, the endocannabinoid system has receptors all over these immune cells, particularly mast cells. But the, the endocannabinoid system during that portion of the menstrual cycle, during the bleeding, is actually very low. So how does that work? Well, progesterone should be high right before that. And the, the peak of progesterone during the second half of the menstrual cycle actually programs the receptors to be very highly receptive so that whatever little endocannabinoid there is, it actually calms down the mast cells so that they don't go like totally overboard and crazy with their inflammatory response. The problem with women with endometriosis is that their progesterone receptors are malfunctioning. And this has been linked to exposures to pesticides. And the one that's been most researched is one called dioxin. So these pesticides that are exposed to the, in the female body during critical developmental times when the receptors for progesterone are developing, which could be in utero, at puberty, when these pesticides get into the female body of women who are maybe genetically more susceptible, they alter the progesterone receptors so they're not working properly. So the, the receptors for progesterone on these immune cells are not receiving them properly and then upregulating the receptors for the endocannabinoid system properly so that they can stay calmer. Well, this is where cannabis to the rescue. So if we don't have the progesterone functioning properly, we could maybe bypass the progesterone by activating the endocannabinoid receptors with cannabis of all things, right? Because cannabis is like a surrogate for our own natural endocannabinoids. So it can actually bind to the receptors and create the similar calming effect on the immune cells so that the mast cells don't go totally like hyper crazy. They'll still work, but they don't go like overboard with their inflammatory response. And they also produce what are called chemokines, which are signaling chemicals that call in the troops, the other immune cells, the neutrophils and the macrophages to come and put out their enzymes and dissolve the dead and dying tissue. So it will work better. It'll be like controlled. The immune system will work in a controlled fashion, much more likely if you can give cannabis to women with endometriosis at an early stage of the condition. I have to say, once a woman has end-stage endometriosis, where she has big chocolate cysts, these big endometrioma on her ovaries, she has massive pelvic adhesions because inflammation causes adhesions to form. So if she has massive adhesions, endometriosis implants everywhere because the uterine lining, when it comes out, includes some living uterine lining cells and our immune system is so haywire when the, the progesterone receptors aren't working properly that these can actually be implanted and actually be nurtured then by estrogen. So estrogen is not evil. Estrogen is 
there to try to heal and control inflammation and nurture injured tissue. But it turns out that when you have um, an inflammation process going on in most areas of the body, the body locally makes more estrogen. And that's what's happening in the pelvis. Because of this massive inflammation that's developing, that area actually is capable of making estrogen. So you actually have higher local production of estrogen, not from the ovaries, but locally on site in the pelvis. And this estrogen then is confused because estrogen is for healing, for creating new tissue, for new making new blood vessels. And when you have this problem with the endometriosis and all this inflammation, you make more estrogen and it doesn't understand that the endometrial implants are inappropriate. It's just trying to nurture it. So it actually nurtures the endometrial implants. And so we have this totally like haywire immune system, too much estrogen being produced, doing something that it's designed to do, but inappropriately, because we're not trying to nurture those implants. We would rather they be dead, right? But estrogen doesn't know that they're really there to harm us because it doesn't understand. Because endometriosis is not a condition that we evolved with. It's a disease, a condition of modern society. So if we can calm down the inflammatory response in the beginning, then we won't get that massive overproduction of estrogen locally in the pelvis, we can sort of calm everything down from the get-go. And if we get early on with, with young women, when they're first developing like the signs and symptoms of endometriosis, which is you know painful intercourse, really bad menstrual cramps, we can maybe avert the whole progression. Of course, we don't have a ton of studies on this, but we do understand the science. And clinically, many of us are using hemp-based cannabis suppositories and also under the tongue, sublingual and oral. And we desperately need more research. And I'm sure it will be coming now that it, things are becoming legalized. We That was sort of a big holdup. <laughs> you can't do research on a product that is illegal. But hopefully we'll get much more research, not just with hemp-based products, but also with marijuana-based products to see how it could potentially help women with endometriosis. Now, women who we don't even know if they have endometriosis or not, but they have really bad menstrual cramps, I use the same approach. Now, in addition, I always go with a very anti-inflammatory diet because we know that there's magic and polyphenols and antioxidants and everything that we do to lower inflammation is going to help women with endometriosis. So there's so much that we can do. And I talk over and over about the importance of having hormones in a young woman's body. Every woman at every age benefits from having hormones. If you don't have hormones when you're a young woman, you're not going to develop properly. You're not going to have a healthy musculoskeletal system. You're going to have problems when you're older. They've shown that young women who go through menopause naturally at a younger age they have tremendously higher rates of every kind of chronic disease known to mankind as they are aging at a much earlier age than other women. If we take away the hormones, and that's what the drugs that are currently being used for endometriosis do, they basically shut down the production of hormones. And that seems so obvious. If you don't have hormones, you're not going to have any of these problems I just described because you're not going to have a menstrual cycle because you know, obviously you don't have endometriosis in six-year-olds. So, oh my gosh, but look at the consequences long-term. So it would be like, oh my gosh, you know, you have 
rodents or cockroaches in your house, let's drop an atomic bomb on your house. That just seems a little over the top. So getting rid of women's hormones as a solution to this problem of endometriosis or severe dysmenorrhea is a terrible solution because you're creating massive problems by getting rid of their hormones because hormones are about life itself in a woman. Hormones have receptors everywhere. And of course, there's been a lot of focus on the musculoskeletal system and the cardiovascular system, but you can name any system in the body. Like how about the brain? They all have hormone receptors. So we have to look for solutions like using these plants. Now, if a woman is trying to actively get pregnant, after I explained to you all of what happens, we, we can't use these products in women. We can't use cannabis products in women who are actively trying to get pregnant with endometriosis because we may prevent implantation. We, we don't know what we're doing. We have no research on that. So for women who are trying to get pregnant, I try to use our natural diet, plants in the diet, lots of antioxidants, in terms of like using vitamin E, I use vitamin E suppositories. So I'm going to try to avoid um, altering the, the endocannabinoid receptors when I'm trying to get help a woman to become pregnant. So of course, I, I always say, please, can we get more research? But right now, I think and if a woman is actively trying to get pregnant, cannabis products are not for her. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that in great detail. I think my listeners are some of the most educated women that I've ever come across in terms of their menstrual histories. And the more that they they understand how things work in these simplified terms, I think the better understanding they have of how to think outside of the box as a way to help themselves, but then is also to be safe while they're trying to get pregnant. So I really, truly appreciate you coming on and talking about this and uh, we will certainly have you back on the show because you are just a wealth of information. I'd love to have you come back and talk about PCOS and 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 maybe the uh, cannabis side with men because I know there's a lot of listeners saying I don't use cannabis but my husband does, right? And wondering what that that oh, effect has on know, fertility. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Of course it does. I mean, I'll just give you a preview of coming attractions. Uh, it can lower testosterone production and sperm production. So yes, males are not exempt, unfortunately, for them. They really have to be aware. And uh, we can talk about anything that has to do with women's health, because I am here to help every woman out there to have an optimal life and optimal health. All right. Thank you, Dr. Gersh. Truly appreciate your time. And thank you to our listeners for giving us your most valuable asset, your time and listening. Uh, if this has been helpful uh, or you think it'll be helpful for a friend, please share. Thank you again, Dr. Gersh. My pleasure. Hey, if you love this podcast and want more support, come join me over at Clubhouse with the handle at Fertile Minds. The month of February, I'll be offering free speed coaching and Q&As about fertility mindset and how it can help you. So come connect with me. And if you don't have a Clubhouse invite yet, apply on their app and then DM me on Instagram at Lady Potions for you. And I'll make sure that you get one of my invites.